This summer at Awakening, we are going to be um, taking the first Sunday of each month to talk about communion together. So the first Sunday of each month, we're kind of structuring our service a little bit differently. Um, We're working with our worship team to really create a time and space for us to spend time together as a community, talking about the sacrament of communion and having more time for worship and reflection together. So y'all, I was given a 20-minute slot this morning. Do you think I can bring it in? Okay, well, we'll try. We're, we're, we're going to try. But no, I'm so excited. So today, we're going to be talking about communion. Now, communion is extremely important. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know this. It's at the very foundation of our faith, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus laying down his life for the forgiveness for our sin, and then rising from the dead to prove that he was who he said he was. Um, but to fully understand the communion table, I think we need to look back. We need to look back a ways, not just to the Last Supper, which is where Jesus and his disciples gathered in the upper room and had their final meal together um, before the death and resurrection of Jesus. But even farther back, like all the way to the Old Testament, almost to the beginning of the Bible, we're going to talk today out of the book of Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible. That's where we're going to today, to talk about freedom. Because I believe that the communion table is a table of freedom. So today we're going to open up to Exodus and talk about the story of the Exodus and how God freed his people from slavery. So maybe some of you have no clue what I'm talking about and you're like, I I don't really know this story. Great. Others of you are like, "Um, I know this. I've known this since I was five. Maybe you had like one of those children's Bibles that had like pictures of all the plagues. I had one. It was a little bit scary. Um, But regardless, if you've never heard it before, I'm excited to tell you the story. If you know this, Well, please don't check out, because the word of God is never empty. And even if there's a story that we think we know so well in our mind, God can use it in our hearts in a new way every time. So the people of our story today are the people of Israel. Now, the people of Israel were also known as the Israelites. They were also known as the Hebrews. I'm going to use all three of those words interchangeably today. I'm talking about the same group of people. And these were the descendants of Jacob. Jacob was also called Israel. This gets confusing, but it's okay. We're we're together. So Jacob, also called Israel, he had 12 sons, and they went on to lead the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the group of people we're talking about. The location today is in Egypt. They are in Egypt. There's about 600,000 men in this group of people, and then the wives and the children. They didn't count them. They should have, clearly. This day we would have counted them. It's okay. But that's who we're talking about. Now, they're in Egypt because during a famine, Jacob took his whole family to Egypt. Do you guys remember the story of Joseph? He had the coat. Remember? Yeah, okay. Well, that's for another day because I wanted to talk that too, and it would have been like three hours I would have been here. So I won't. But that's when they went to Egypt when Joseph was um, a leader under Pharaoh. And so the Pharaoh at that time welcomed Jacob and his 12 sons all into Egypt, um, and he gave them wonderful land, and that's where they decided to live. Now, when we catch up with the story today, a couple hundred years have passed. Jacob has died. Joseph has died. All of his brothers have died. And there's a new Pharaoh in command that doesn't know the story of Joseph. He doesn't know that the people of Israel were welcomed into Egypt. And he's actually feeling a little concerned because the number of Israelites is growing. Like they're outnumbering the number of Egyptians. And Pharaoh is concerned that they're going to rise up and revolt or maybe that they're going to partner with one of their enemies and war against them and take over. So in Exodus 1, uh, verse 11, it says this. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the field. 
And in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. 600,000 men plus women and children in slave labor, fully controlled now by the Egyptians. And it was a very ruthless oppression. We're told that at one point when Pharaoh gets concerned about the number of babies being born, he calls in some of the Hebrew midwives and he says to them, you have to kill every single baby boy when he's born. And the midwives totally disobey him. And it says in the Bible that they multiplied even more because of that oppression. So then Pharaoh makes a decree that all baby boys must be thrown into the Nile that are born of Hebrew families. Thrown into the Nile. And this is when Moses enters the story. Anyone? Moses? Yeah? You with me? Okay. So Moses is born to a Hebrew family. And his mom knows the decrees, the commands. He's supposed to be thrown into the Nile. But she, she just can't. So she keeps him and hides him for three months. And when she can't hide him any longer, she creates a basket for him, a waterproof basket. And she places her precious baby boy into the basket and puts the basket into the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket. Y'all, I think God is working through this one. I'm not sure. She finds the basket. She brings the baby home to live with her. And she raises Moses in her home. And when he grows up and learns who he is, he goes out to see what's going on with his people. And one day, while he's out watching his Hebrew family working, the people that he came from, he sees an Egyptian brutally beating a Hebrew slave. And when no one is looking, or when Moses thinks no one is looking, he kills that Egyptian. And then when he discovers that he was seen, he runs. He flees Egypt. He goes all the way to Midian, and he ends up getting married. He has a son. And one day he's out in the fields. His father-in-law had flocks, and he's out tending the flocks. And God speaks to him through a burning bush. And this is what God says to him in Exodus 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. Moses, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses puts up quite a fight. And gives all the reasons why he's not qualified. But in the end, he and his brother Aaron go to Pharaoh. And they say, God says, let my people go. Y'all know what Pharaoh says? No. <laughs> You've seen the movie. He says no. And then he gets angry because they're, he thinks they're going to disrupt the slaves and they're not going to work his heart. So then he says to all of his slave drivers, take all the straw away from them. They have to make their bricks now without the straw. And they still have to hit their quotas or they're going to be punished. So now the people's workload has doubled. And the oppression is nasty and gross. And in Exodus 6, the Lord says this to Moses, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Yoke, we're not talking about eggs here. We're talking about like a harness that goes over oxen. Kind of like I know many of us aren't farmers in here, but like just visualize that. It's kind of like a harness that would keep them together. That's the yoke. I'm going to bring them out from underneath that yoke of the Egyptians. I will free them from being slaves, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am your Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And verse 9 says this, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen because of their discouragement 
and harsh labor. I want to pause the story for just a second because I feel like so often when I'm reading the Bible, I find myself in the story. You guys ever do this? You're like, oh, that would have been me. That would have been me. I think sometimes we do not hear the voice of God or we do not listen for the voice of God or we do not call out to God because we're so distracted by our oppressor, right? We don't hear the voice of our Savior and our liberator because we're just so consumed by the bondage and the chains and the pain. We can't see clearly the Savior who wants to free us. But friends, our Redeemer is faithful. And when God says he's going to do something, he does it. So bring on the plagues. That's what happens next. So God sends nine plagues to the people of Egypt. And each time he sends Moses in and says, let my people go, and Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he says, no. And then the tenth and final plague comes. And this is after the water turns to blood, and there's frogs and gnats and flies. The livestock dies. There's hail. There's locusts. Then it gets dark. And Pharaoh still says no. The final plague, the tenth plague, is the plague of the firstborn. So in Exodus 11.1, God says this to Moses. I will bring one more plague onto Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from there. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. And in Exodus 12, God gives instructions to his people, the Hebrews, the people of Israel, the Israelites, about the Passover. And this is what he tells them to do, to protect them from this plague. He says, take a lamb for each family. And if you don't have enough money for your own lamb, partner with another family. But make sure there's enough meat for everyone. Take a lamb, a one-year-old male, without any defects, a blameless, spotless lamb. And at the given time, sacrifice the lamb. And then take the blood from that lamb and rub it over the sides and the top of your doorframe of your home. And in that same night, roast that lamb. Don't boil it. Don't eat it raw. Roast it. Y'all, my husband is Greek. Roasted lamb is delicious. I think this is God loving on his people. He's like, and you're going to have a really good meal. This is going to be awesome. Roasted lamb along with bitter herbs, bitter to, to remind them of the bitterness of the slavery they're in. And bread that's made without yeast, also known as unleavened bread. So when you put yeast in bread, you got to wait for it to rise, right? But God was commanding them, don't put yeast in it. We don't have time for it to rise. I want you to be ready to go when it's time to go. So no yeast, unleavened bread. And this is how he tells them to eat it. You guys, this is really interesting. He says, this is how you are to eat. With your cloak tucked into your belt, with your sandals on your feet, and with your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. You guys, you know what he's telling him? Dress for it. Dress with the faith that I'm freeing you tonight. You are ready to go. Don't put yeast in your bread. We don't got time for that. Put your shoes on. Get your staff. Get your cloak on. I'm going to free you. And you guys, that night, there was loud wailing all throughout Egypt. That's what the book of Exodus tells us. Because there was not a single Egyptian house without someone dead. From the Pharaoh's firstborn son all the way down to the firstborn son of the livestock out in the fields. The plague took out the firstborn son of every single Egyptian family and animals. And Pharaoh calls Moses to him, and he says, just go. Like, get out. Get your people and go. I need you to leave now. So the people pack up their stuff. They packed up their, their dough for their bread for the next day that doesn't have any yeast in it yet. And they plunder the wealth from the Egyptians around them because God put favor 
in the Egyptians to give them their wealth, and out they go. They take off. You guys, God freed the slaves just like that. Isn't that amazing? We're told that it's maybe 2 million people that left. So we know it was about 600,000 men, and then you add on the kids, and you add on the women, oh, the women, and then you add on the Egyptians that saw what was going on, and they're like, we're out of here. We're with you guys. Like, this is a lot. Two million people walked out. God freed his people. He saved them from hundreds of years of cruel slavery. He saved them from their wicked slave drivers who abused them and who beat them. He freed them from the evil Pharaoh who just wanted to kill their babies and oppress them. This is our God. This is our God, the God who watches out for his children, who hears their cries and their suffering, who defends them, who fights for them, who overcomes their oppressors and frees them from slavery. And this is the same God who spared the life of every Israelite firstborn son by the Passover. And then he turns around later and gives us his firstborn son as a sacrifice. This is the story of Passover. Isn't it powerful, you guys? It's an annual holiday designed to celebrate Israel's deliverance from Egypt and to remind them of their faithful God. God told the people in Exodus 12, he commanded them this, remember the Passover, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants when you enter into the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised. Obey this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? You tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who has passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. I love that, you guys. I have three kiddos, and I feel like it's so significant that he's telling him, you tell your kids about this. This morning in our first service, Roland, who did our announcements, our, our youth director, who's just so fun, such a kick, he brought up all the fifth graders that are moving to middle school and our eighth graders that are moving to high school and we celebrated them as well as our seniors who are graduating. Oh, we have 10 fifth graders moving up to middle school in our church. You wouldn't even know. You don't see them at the service, but they're around. Um, And it's so exciting for me that that's a part of our community and these eighth graders that are moving up because we've got young people in our church. I see a lot of kids' shirts right now. Thank you for working with our kids last service. Thank you. You guys are awesome. You're doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Because you are teaching them what it means. And that's what God's telling them. Don't forget what I did. Pass it on to the next generation. Friends, it was this very same Passover celebration that Jesus and his disciples were celebrating that night at the Last Supper. At that time, all Jewish males over the age of 12 were required to go to Jerusalem once a year for the, well, several times a year, but for the Passover, they went once a year. I mean, they were required to go and for the seven-day festival and also for the Passover meal. And they would eat the same things, the lamb, the bitter herbs, the unleavened bread, the wine. And what we know now is that this original Passover in Exodus and then this faithful Passover feast and the festival that was celebrated for hundreds of years and is still celebrated today among the Jewish tradition, y'all, it's actually a foreshadowing of the death of the spotless lamb the death of the firstborn son of God. But this time, there'd be a resurrection, not just a death. A death and resurrection that wouldn't just free the people of Israel from slavery, it would free all from slavery and sin forever and offer them eternal life. So with this story of the Exodus just really fresh in our minds, we're going to read the story of the Last Supper. I want to invite you, if you've got a Bible with you, if you've got a Bible app, um, you can also read up on the screen. We're going to Luke 22. Luke 22. I want us to read this 
with the story of the Exodus just fresh in our minds and the story of the Passover. Luke 22, we're going to start in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread. And now you all know what that means, right? On which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. And he replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make your preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is God's word. The Passover meal at this time was made up of different courses and different meals with different glasses of wine given at different times. In this final glass of wine that Jesus lifts and says, this is the blood of the new covenant, this is the fourth glass of wine of the meal. This was the glass of wine that signified the coming Messiah. Some call it Elijah's glass of wine because they believe that Elijah would be bringing in, ushering the new Messiah. So for Jesus to take this fourth glass that all of his disciples know this is, this is the cup of the Messiah. And for him to say, this is my blood. He's saying to them, I am. I am the Messiah. It is me. And it is my blood that now is a new covenant. That with this wine, Jesus, he's announcing a new covenant. That it will be his blood that will cover and atone for all sin going forward. That no longer animal sacrifices will be needed. He is the sacrifice. And as Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, and he remembered God's faithfulness in freeing his people from oppression and slavery from Egypt, Jesus was making a new covenant, telling them that his own blood would be shed for the forgiveness of sins for all. And friends, just hours later, he was arrested, he was put on trial, he was crucified, he died. And then three days later, he rose from the dead having conquered and defeated death. And because of his death, we're free. We're free. We no longer have to sacrifice animals. We no longer have to be slaves. We're no longer oppressed. Galatians 5 tells us, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And that is what the communion table is all about. Starting with the Passover celebration and God freeing his people from slavery and oppression. And then going to the Last Supper, where Jesus said, it is now my body and my blood that will free you. So as we come to the communion table here in a couple minutes, I want us to come really reflective. I want us to be really mindful of what we are doing. And I think in this room, some of us are at different places. Well, I, I know we are. We're all at different places in our faith, different stages, different experiences. I think for some of us, as we're sitting here, we're surrendered to Jesus. 
We have been forgiven. We've been set free. We have got stories to share with you about how God has freed us. And some of us, it's present. It's in our minds. And for some of us, it's kind of been a while. And the significance of it is kind of faded. We've forgotten God's goodness. So today, this is my challenge to you. I want you to sit and think through, what has Jesus redeemed you from? Go back to that season of your life where there was sin or addiction or something that was enslaving you, holding you captive. Remember what it was like when you gave that to Jesus and he freed you and the bondage was gone. As you come today to the communion table, remember your chains, remember your pain, remember the struggle, and then remember that through the blood of Jesus, you are free. Some of us are sitting here today and we're surrendered to Jesus, we're forgiven, we're set free, and yet we're still living like we are slaves. As we walk around our lives and go through our day-to-day, we're carrying stuff with us. The bondage, the chains, they're still with us. We haven't dropped them. And the weight and the burden of those chains, it's exhausting us. Maybe it's the weight and the memories of the sin that we've done. Maybe it's the consequences from that sin that we still have to endure. Maybe it's the weight and the memory of sin that was done to us. And it's just a part of us all the time. And and it's like the glasses through which we see everything in our lives. Here's my challenge for you today. To drop the chains. To leave them at the communion table. To let them go. Because I think for some of us, if this is where you are, you've been listening to the wrong voice. You've been listening to the voice of the enemy. The enemy that wants to separate you from God. That wants to tell you that really Jesus' sacrifice was not enough to free you. And if that is where you are today, I want to give you some verses to just combat those lies. To just combat it. So when those memories come to your mind, um, when those things come flooding back to you that tell you that actually you're not new, you're not reborn, you're actually a hot mess, this is what you're going to say to those. Psalms 103, 11 through 12 tells us this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love for those who fear him. So great. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You do not have your sin anymore. Jesus died for it. It is gone. He has removed it from you. Isaiah 1 tells us, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Y'all, this is not dirty snow. This is white as snow. You are clean because of the blood of Jesus. Your sins don't trail you. They don't go with you. God cuts them off. It's behind. You are new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, therefore, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. God draws a line and he says, that's back there. This is now. And friends, we have this opportunity to go to the Lord for forgiveness every single day. Every single day, every single moment. We don't have to go to a priest to confess our sins. We have full access to God through Jesus Christ. You can do that at any time and leave it behind. Galatians 5.5 tells us, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
You are free. Let it go. If that's your category that you feel like you fit in today, as you come to the communion table, I welcome you to just leave it. Just leave it there. Jesus hung on the cross for that sin. It's not too big for him. He could handle it. And then I think in this room there's some of us who are not quite at that place in our relationship with God. Maybe we're just investigating. We're just kind of starting to hear the voice of God. Or, or maybe we still have a lot of questions. We're just not sure where we're at. And, y'all, that is, that is great. That is fine. And you are welcome here wherever you are in your faith. But here's my call to you. You have a God who loves you, who sent his son as the final sacrifice for you to give you eternal life. And that forgiveness is already available to you. Jesus has already forgiven you, even if you haven't asked him to. Isn't that crazy? That is the amount of love that the Father has for us. Romans 5, 7 through 8, that I asked Roland to read earlier. I want to just say say this again over you guys, because this is powerful. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You do not have to clean up your act to come to Jesus. You don't have to make a to-do list and, and get your act together and make your life look better and conquer all of your devils before you come to him. You bring it. You just bring it to him. All the ugly, all the messy, all the broken, all the hurting, you just bring it. He's the God that redeems. He's the God that heals. Romans ten nine tells us, if you declare with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is not complicated. It does not have a lot of steps. You do not have to say the right words. Jesus is Lord. That's what you utter, and in your heart you believe that God raised him from the dead. We have time today for reflection. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on back up. And they've selected several songs that they felt like would lead us so well into a time of communion. So what I want to do is just invite you to sit with God. Just sit with him. Reflect on what you've heard. Reflect on the truth of the scripture. And when you decide you're ready, if you're ready, I want to invite you to come and take communion. Here at Awakening Church, uh, we celebrate what we call the open communion table. And that means that the only qualification to take communion with us is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to have professed faith in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to take communion with us today. We're going to have three stations, one here and one here, and then also one in the back. And whenever you feel ready and you want to come to the table to celebrate this freedom we have through Jesus, you can come forward. There's bread and there's juice. People will be holding it, and they're going to speak some words over you as you take it. Tear off a big old chunk, you guys. Big old chunk. God's grace is big. Take it, dip, and then you can eat it whenever you're ready to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. If you're a person that's gluten-free, we have a gluten-free option that's going to be in the back of the room, so you can go back to that place. And then also, friends, I just want to remind you that we have a prayer team that is here, willing, and ready to pray for you at any given time. Our prayer team meets right over here, kind of behind the speaker. They're here during worship. They're here after services. Um, Take advantage of that. And please don't feel like your life has to be like crumbling into a million pieces to get prayed for. We pray about everything. If you need anyone to stand beside you in prayer, that space is open to you. Will you guys pray with me?
God, I am so grateful that you have put into our faith, tradition, and heritage these moments to pause and remember you. And I thank you for communion. I thank you that you had Jesus say to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. So that since we, we didn't get to see Jesus, we didn't get to meet him, but God, we can remember him through taking communion. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness through the ages and through the generations. Thank you for your word that tells us the story of how much you love your people and the extent, God, that you went to to get us back. God, thank you for your freedom. Thank you for the death of Jesus. Thank you that we can come to you, God, with all of our baggage, with all of our mess, with all of our yuck, and we can come to you boldly knowing, God, it's not too much, that you will forgive us, that through the blood of Jesus, we are white as snow. God, thank you for that love. God, I just ask you to be with each of us in this moment as we come and we reflect and we worship and we pray. God, will your spirit be here working among us? And it's through the powerful name and blood of Jesus we pray. Amen.